The departure of Texas and Oklahoma from the Big 12 is the big news story. We cover that topic in a big way with Dallas Morning News columnist Kevin Sherrington and Fox 4 Sports reporter Sam Gannon. But first, Jason Kidd, the new head coach of the Dallas Mavericks, joins us to talk about his plans for the team, Luca at the Olympics, and why Dick Mata belongs in the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame. So let's drop the needle and let's go. Welcome to the Mic Drop, everyone. Kevin Sullivan here, joined by my co-host, Monica Paul, the high-octane executive director of the Dallas Sports Commission, along with our next-level intern, Olivia Petnicki, stepping up this week in, to uh, step in for our other next-level intern, Marcus Carr. Good to have Olivia with us this week. Thanks to everybody for listening and subscribing. Episode 24, Monica, which, of course, makes me think of Mark Aguirre. Then it makes me think of Jimmy Jackson. And, you know, Hubert Davis was one of my all-time favorite Mavericks. He wasn't here very long. He wore 24. You know, we thought in the early days that number would have been retired for Mark Aguirre, but it didn't turn out that way. And a bunch of other players have worn it. But I'm going to pump fake on the Mavericks this week and go to the Cowboys. TCU's own Larry Brown was the MVP of Super Bowl 30, wearing number 24 for the Cowboys. But I'm going to go to another Cowboy for inspiration this week, Everson Walls, who wore 24. Not only was he one of only two players in NFL history to lead the league in interceptions three times, but in 2007, he donated a kidney to former teammate Ron Springs in a heartwarming uh, story of what it means to really be a great teammate and a great friend. So we're inspired by Everson Walls today, Monica, at least I am, to try to do my best as we try to make each episode of the mic drop a little better than the one before. Now, we're also inspired this week, Monica, by a little field trip the Tony Faye PR and Mike Drop crew took to Globe Life Field last Saturday for Green Day Fallout Boy and Weezer. That would be opening night of the Hella Mega Tour. First concert ever at Globe Life Field, 45,000 people. What are you going to remember about Saturday night? Oh, I think I'm going to remember a lot. First off, it was uh, great to get the whole team together. We've been, uh, you know, putting this mic drop uh, together via Zoom for the most part. And uh, I don't think we've had the entire Tony Fay PR team together, or maybe not all of them, uh, but the majority of them together and their significant uh, others. So it was nice to, to meet some of them. Uh, I think I'm going to remember that uh, that 45,000 uh, crowd was pretty excited and uh, pretty joyous there. Uh, There's a lot of smiles on faces, uh, probably first concert in a year and a half, two years. So that was really great to see the energy uh, of people walking up uh, to the stadium in the ballpark, uh, as well as them enjoying it. I'll uh, appreciate the air conditioning uh, concert inside and the air conditioning. That was uh, pretty special. And I think I'm going to remember the strategy sessions of uh, with, with Tony in the, in the back of the suite and you in the back of the suite and us talking a little a little business. Uh, I have to say, I thought the sound uh, there in the in the ballpark was was pretty good, especially for a first concert. I thought uh, Sean Decker and his crew did a pretty pretty fantastic job. Yeah, major props to to Sean Decker, who runs the place, friend of the pod, past guest on the mic drop, and he told us the Live Nation people were very impressed with the with the the sound. Of course, some concerts will have the roof open, uh, but the sound was great. Uh, with the roof closed and and just all the operational facilities and everything around the ballpark turned out to be be great. So congratulations to Sean Decker and thanks for the hospitality. You know, it's funny, the week before on that prior Sunday, Tony and I went to Money in the Bank, the WWE pay-per-view in Fort Worth. So it was good. That was another night of emotion. We didn't have Billy Joe Armstrong saying he would remember the night forever uh, because it was, as he put it, uh, the Green Day front man and, and philosopher said that concert at Globe Life Field was was something he'd remember forever because it was pure joy and friendship. And, and that's how that's how I felt at both of those live events that I went to uh, recently. Live last night, uh, Tuesday night at Globe Life Field as we record this, Jason Kidd threw out the first pitch. Now, we recorded an interview with Jason earlier in the day on Tuesday that'll be part of this podcast. 
And uh, off the air, he told us he wasn't really practicing, but he did have a strategy and he did pretty well. He got it. Uh, it was off the plate a little bit, but his number one goal was to not bounce it in. And he did not bounce it in. Taylor Hearn was the honorary catcher. And uh, it was a pretty good, wasn't a strike, but it was a, but it was a pretty good pitch. And most importantly, he threw from the top of the mound. So mic drop moment there for JK. Cool for the Rangers uh, to, to do that. Uh, another uh, mic drop moment this week, Monica, Fort Worth resident Vincent Hancock becoming the first of our many local Olympians to win gold in Tokyo. He won his third straight gold medal in skeet shooting. Now, I have done that uh, with only minimal success. Have you ever shot skeet, Monica? Uh, I've tried once, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm the best at skeet. Now, uh, take me to the range, and uh, that might be a different story. But skeet, not, not, not my specialty. Now, we're going to be talking with Kevin Sherrington a bit later in the program uh, and Sam Gannon also about this unfolding UT Oklahoma story. But some other UT news uh, from, from the Olympics is uh, I watched uh, Tuesday night as 20-year-old Erica Sullivan. I'm pretty sure they call her Sully on that team. But she won <laughs> silver behind Katie Ledecky in the women's 1500. And of course, we saw earlier in the week uh, Lydia Jacoby, uh, the first swimmer from Alaska ever to make an Olympic team, stunned the world, 17 years old, and won gold. And they're both headed to UT, Erica Sullivan and Lydia Jacoby. So some good news in the pool for for uh, for UT. you got to be excited about that. Oh, I love that. I, I actually didn't know until they, they said it on, on NBC that she was headed to, over to UT. So that's great. They've got a great uh, swim program there, so not surprising. But uh, to be a 17-year-old Olympian, and I think it was pretty special to see the shock uh, kind of as she finished that race and uh, the excitement and shock. Uh, and, you know, I kind of – I think they said that there's only one 50 meter pool, uh, in Alaska that, uh, she was able to practice in. So that's, that's pretty crazy in itself, but you know, Sully, this, this Olympic spirit, uh, it only happens every four years and we had to wait an extra year this year and a little bit different circumstances. I have to say, uh, admit that it is a little different watching the Olympics without, uh, fans in attendance. And it has to be different for those athletes there, but, uh, it's still, a a lot of excitement, big passion. I find myself uh, every night laying in bed watching live what's what's happening over there in Tokyo and different sports kind of all around. Uh, obviously, I'm a big uh, volleyball fan, so I, I hit the men's and women's volleyball e every night as they're playing live. Uh, but I think we also had uh, Alicia Gray. I think uh, the, the 3x3 women's uh, team, they're either playing for gold or got gold. Hopefully, I didn't just jinx something uh, here, but... Uh, um, I kind of like the 3x3 basketball. I was a, I was a little shocked. I, I, I was surprised at how quick of a pace uh, it is. And, I mean, they're constantly going, not a lot of, a lot of you know, timeouts and, and prep time. It's uh, the, They're on the move. So, uh, And then another Longhorn, Cat Osterman, uh, bringing back a, a silver medal with uh, USA Softball as well. So it's been i'm doing the same thing i'm staying up way too late which i normally do anyway but i'm staying up late watching the olympics nonstop, and it's 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 uh, lots of what uh, reasons to be inspired and just lots of great competition uh and and don't look now monica shifting gears but smu head coach sonny dykes is 17 and 6 the last two years he, he heads into his fourth uh full season as the smu head coach uh soon and yesterday or earlier this week, the 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 ponies unveiled an alternate Dallas themed jersey. Now, let's go over to Olivia. You know, we're very accustomed now to teams doing alternate jerseys, and normally these things are geared toward toward young fans. And I'm certainly not in that demo. You're closer to that demo than I am, Monica. Mm. But Olivia, what did you think of the new Dallas edition SMU football jerseys? You know what, Sully? I would have to say I do like them. I think they look really clean. Um, I love the pride for Dallas on the front, but as you know, I'm a Mean Green uh, alumni, so I would always have to rep the Mean Green at the end of the day. <laughs> you know, did, I, you probably did not have an alternate volleyball jersey during your career at uh, at, at at UNT, but I, I bet you would have designed a good one. What would it have looked like? Hmm, 
I would say, although I did not have an alternate jersey, I did play libero. So I was always in a different color jersey than the rest of the team. But I would say, um, actually, UNT football has some white jerseys. They're like the classic ones. I would say they're probably like uh, Joe Green. Right, jerseys. Mean Joe Green. Yeah. We rep uh, Mean Joe Green on the front of the jersey. Yeah, well, check out the SMU. It's pretty cool. The Dallas City logos on the helmet. It says Dallas Inscriptive across the front. Uh, pretty cool. All right, we got a good show for you this time once again. Back in a moment with Mavericks head coach Jason Kidd. Got to get used to saying that. But first, over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. All right, guys, are you looking to get out of the house in a safe way? Maybe have a relaxing weekend at the spa or a fun family staycation? The Omni Dallas Hotel is right in the heart of downtown within walking distance to some of the area's best restaurants and unique shopping. The Uptown Terrace Infinity Pool is a family-friendly retreat during the day and a great place to watch a romantic sunset over the Dallas skyline at night. Go to omnihotels.com Dallas today for the best offers and spend your free time exploring Dallas. Why? Because big wins happen here. We are so happy to be joined by Jason Kidd, Mavericks first round draft pick way back in 1994. <laughs> when he was the NBA co-rookie of the year with Grant Hill, who snuck in and to share the award with Jay Kidd, took the Nets to the finals in 2002 and three, broke through with the Mavericks winning a championship in 2011. How great was that? Coached the, coached the Nets for a year, Milwaukee for a few years, entered the NBA, the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame a few years ago, won a championship two years ago as the top assistant to Frank Vogel in LA. I'm not gonna mention uh, what the kid did and some of Jason's <laughs> other rap exploits from the mid nineties, but you can find them on YouTube. Ain't no party like a J kid party. Welcome back to Dallas, Jason kid. Thank you. Thank you. For the third you, time. Uh, for the third time. Now uh, you're back to be the head coach of the Mavericks. You made a reference in your press conference about what you learned in LA under Frank Vogel, winning a championship, coaching that great team as a top assistant that will make you a better head coach this time around. What did you mean by that? Well, I think, uh, you know, first I jumped into coaching uh, two seconds after I retired from playing. And so um, this being in LA under Frank uh, gave me the opportunity to see what the assistant coaches actually go through, um, how they prepare things for the head coach, and then also just understanding Frank's demeanor, um, what was important to, to coach, um, you know, communication, um, being able to agree, to disagree, but being a unit once we left the coach's office, uh, when we took the floor that we were a unit. And so those type of things really uh, opened my eyes. And I said, you know, if I ever got an opportunity to, to be a head coach, that I would borrow those things from Frank. What, what will you borrow from the great Dick Mata, who was, who, who, who coached you, uh, who in my view belongs in the hall of fame. You know, he lost a lot of games at the very end of his career in Denver and Sacramento. And that, that may have worked against his hall of fame chances, but talk a little bit about coach Mata and what you learned from him. That offense was, 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 was pretty strong. Yes. When you talk about the, the great coach Mata, who I truly believe should be in the hall of fame, um, not because of the losses. I, I think sometimes we forget how great he was uh, to take on different projects and make them better. Um, and so you look at his offense, uh, you know, I enjoyed playing in his offense because I was a passer and we had two dominant scorers in, in Jamal and Jimmy. And so it fit those guys perfectly. Um, but also I think as a coach, you know, I thought Dick uh, talked shot straight told you when you weren't doing something right. Um, he asked, you know, for you to play hard. And uh, he, he was just very honest. And he was a father figure, um, you know, off and on the floor. And so um, when you talk about what he did here as a Mavs coach, if I can do it, just a little of what he accomplished here, uh, hopefully that means I've had a great coaching career here in Dallas. You know, so many Hall of Fame players like yourself have, have either not been interested in coaching or haven't done very well. Larry Bird is an exception. There are some exceptions. Why do you why do you think that is that the Hall of Fame players haven't turned out to be that that many of them haven't turned out to be great coaches? And, and, and why do you want to coach? 
Yeah, I, I've, well, one, I want to coach because I love to give back and help. You know, I, I think uh, being able to go through that journey, um, being able to share that and help, you know, with uh, the younger generation. Uh, I had that opportunity in Milwaukee uh, with Giannis and Chris Middleton and uh, to see those guys uh, fulfill their goals of winning a championship. And so uh, as a coach, um, I've, I've seen almost everything. And so I want to help these guys, put them in a position to be successful, you know, just not on the court, but off. And then I think when you talk about the Hall of Fame, sometimes we can be stubborn. Uh, sometimes uh, when you look at um, different, you see things differently, um, you, you wonder why they can't see it. And I think sometimes you just have to take that, you know, step back and everyone learns differently. Um, on the court, in film, uh, on the board. And so uh, you have to understand that. And uh, as a young coach, I'm learning that process. You know, Dick gave you guys the green light to start shooting three-pointers. I remember George McLeod setting records. Was he, was that a precursor in some ways to what we're seeing in the, in the NBA today? Oh, I've always thought Coach Mata was ahead of the game. And I think when he told us that day at halftime, you know, during that game, that what's the record for most uh, threes made or attempted, um, I think he knew where the game was going. Um, he knew what team he had at the time, and we took full advantage of that. Um, I didn't make a lot of threes. I might have taken a lot of threes, but <laughs> I didn't make them. So, Jason, uh, a three-time Dallas resident now. Nico, uh, I think, had lived here in Dallas before when – uh, when he was working here for Nike. Uh, what's your favorite thing about uh, Dallas? Uh, the, my favorite thing is the people. When you talk about uh, the people uh, here in Dallas, uh, warm, uh, welcoming, um, love sports, love their teams. Um, and so uh, that's the one thing I've missed when I've traveled this country and lived in different spots. Uh, there's nothing like Dallas. Um, when you talk about the people welcoming, the fans, they support their teams here. So I'm very excited to be back. Well, we're, we're definitely excited you're back. And I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the, definitely our, our fans and uh, the can-do spirit uh, here in Dallas is, is pretty important and very important for what I do uh, as well. Um, so Luca had a big game at the Olympics. Uh, I think all of Dallas is, is cheering for Luca uh, along the way. Um, how would you compare yourself at age 22 to Luca? Uh, Luca is a special human being. I think everyone here in Dallas is up at 11:30 or 12 at midnight watching the game, um, and then to see his debut, um, 48 points. Uh, I don't think there's a, a stage that he's afraid of. And at 22, that just shows his maturity. Uh, sometimes we say, you know, when you see people like this, that they've been here before. Um, he, he's just a special human being. He loves to play the game. Um, he's, he's always smiling and having a great time. And when you're around people like that, they can only make you better at your craft. And, um, and I'm excited to have the opportunity to be able to coach him. So if, if my research is correct, I think me, you, and Sully were all at the Sydney Olympics, possibly, right? We yeah. were all in 2000. Um, yes. With, with the Olympics going on, Jason, any uh, any favorite memories from your Olympic experiences? Uh, just being able, the biggest is to being able to represent your country. Um, in 2000 in Sydney, um, Australia, a beautiful place. I thought they did a great job in hosting the Olympics. But I think it's a great time, um, not just to be a basketball player, but be a fan of sports, uh, to be able to go to swimming, uh, to be able to go see table tennis, uh, to see the best athletes in the world uh, compete. Um, you know, we always talk about the gold medals, uh, but also just people competing, the athletes competing. Uh, unfortunately, everyone can't win a gold medal, but just to see the best, you know, compete, um, is, there's nothing like it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good stories coming out of out of Tokyo. I'm really glad a lot of these athletes had this opportunity. A little sad, their their families and friends and you know spectators aren't there to to be able to see them. But uh, glad they had this opportunity. So before I uh, turn it over to Marcus, who's a very very big <laughs> Mavericks fan, I know he has a few questions to ask. Uh, 
But uh, Nico hadn't hinted that you have a game plan for uh, Luca and Porzingis. And, uh, you know, what give our listeners and some of these math fans an idea of uh, what style of play you think will bring out uh, the best in, in KP? Yeah, well, when you look at um, Luca and KP, two of our younger stars in the league, um, understanding, you know, I think KP, one, being healthy, um, I think we're going to see a better KP. Um, again, sometimes uh, we're not, you know, we don't get the full story about maybe a coach wants someone, a player to play a certain style and, and the fan wants that player to, to play differently and he's only doing what the coach has asked him. Um, I think you're going to see a KP play at a very high level. I think you're going to see the fun and joy that he loves to play the game. I think Luca's going to make him better. I think KP is going to make Luca better. And so I'm excited to have those two on the floor. Um, again, we're going to, we're going to shoot a lot of threes, uh, but we also have to attack the basket. Uh, and I think both those guys can do that. Jason, you've, you've coached three league MVPs now, um, Kevin Garnett, LeBron and Giannis, you know, how, how can you take what you've learned from coaching those guys and apply it to Luca's game to get him to the MVP level or, you know, above that? Maybe I'm on the uh, lucky rabbit's foot. Uh, you know, I, I think, um, you know, when you look at what Luca has brought to the, to the game um, is incredible. I think the next step is, is the mental side, being able to play the game within the game. How can we make it um, less stressful? Um, and I think, again, he's right there uh, as one of the best players in the world. And I think, you know, one of his next goals is to be that league MVP. Um, and hopefully I can help him get, you know, achieve that. Uh, but I think it's more the mental side, um, just understanding um, the longevity. Um, I think when I was drafted way, way, way back then um, in 90 something, you never thought about the game or father time. And so uh, there's never, it's never too early to talk or prepare for that um, because we want Luca to not just play for the next five years. We want him to play for the next 10 to 12 years and, and play at a very high level. You know, we, uh, we talk about Luca magic. I remember, you know, sitting next to the Mavericks bench uh, at the press table in a game. I don't know if it was probably your rookie year. And uh, we were down by one or whatever it was. And Coach Mata called a timeout and team sitting there. And he looks at you and says, just work your magic. Like he didn't even, he didn't, he didn't drop a play. He didn't tell you what play to call. He looked at you and said, work your magic. And you did. And we, and we won the game. At least this, that's the story uh, that I'm, that I'm going with. So Luca is special, but he just mentioned the mental part of the game and he has let the refs get to him and get under his skin. And it seems that, it causes him to lose focus every now and then. You never did. In those moments, you didn't get a lot of technicals in your career. You were calm. You know, you were that floor leader. Is that something? Have you spoken to him about that yet? I know you just got the job. Can, do you think you can help him uh, as he enters his fourth year in the league be a little steadier in those moments and not let the, those outside things get to him so much? Yeah, I, I think uh, uh, I'm going to go with your story, too. I think you're right, 100%. <laughs> Uh, but I think uh, when you talk about being calm, I think uh, just understanding the moment um, and what's around you, your teammates, I think when you are calm, uh, you can get a better result. But we're all different. And I, and I do, I love the, the competitiveness of Luca. Uh, but also there is, as I mentioned earlier, the game within the game, the referees, um, the opponent, um, are they gonna try to poke at you so that you can lose your composure? for that one second that causes us to, to have a turnover or a mistake. And so I think those are the, those are the areas that I think Luca will improve on um, as we go forward. And that just makes him a better player, but us a better team. Help our, help our listeners get to know Nico Harrison a little bit more. I, I was impressed with him at the press conference. I see him as a, as a basketball person, not a shoe guy, so to speak now, after hearing him uh, speak. Why do you think he'll be successful as the head of basketball operations for the Mavericks? Well, I think uh, he's going to be successful because he's going to work. Um, also, he's a great listener. Uh, again, he will tell you what he doesn't know, um, which I think makes great leaders, but also great people. Um, he's always willing to learn, but he is a basketball guy. Uh, he's been around the, the best, uh, Kobe, 
Jermaine O'Neal, um, understanding the Nike relationship opened up a lot of doors for just not great basketball players, but great athletes. And so he understands, uh, you know, how to talk to people. Um, and I think he's the right guy for this job. And I think he's going to bring us a lot of talented players that uh, makes the, the job easier for the coach. Uh, but also, I think he's going to be great in our community. No doubt about it. As you've been putting your staff together, obviously the uh, you've got Sean Sweeney that you brought in from Detroit that you've worked with in the past, and and Greg St. Jean, Igor Koskakov, who coached Luca overseas, former formerly the Phoenix Suns head coach. Yes. What what are you looking for as you fill out your staff and you that to, to complement you and to complement the three that you've already hired? Yeah, I think when you we talk about Igor, uh, former head coach. Um, has worked with Luca, um, but I, I look at uh, Igor as a genius offensively, a great person, um, great family man. And so I, I thought, you know, him being our lead assistant um, is, is, we got very lucky to have someone like that. Um, Sean Sweeney, I've worked with uh, before in Brooklyn and also Milwaukee, understands the defensive side of the ball. Um, and so I, I think, uh, again, Looking at our team, uh, if we can get a little bit better on the defensive end, that, that puts us in a better situation to win. Uh, just this past two years, I got to work with St. Jean, whose family uh, I think was born in the NBA uh, when his dad has worked, uh, you know, not just as a GM, but, but a coach in this league. And so he understands the game. Um, young, uh, very hungry, works extremely hard. So very lucky to have him. And then we're not done, right? We're still in the process of adding two more spots. And so uh, I'm excited to hopefully here, you know, hire two more people so we can fill that, that roster, our coaching staff roster, and we can move forward. So Jason, give us an idea of what it's like to work with Dirk now on a, on a different level, not on, on the court, but uh, off the court and in front office uh, capacity. Uh, Dirk is as, as, as good as they come. Um, I've always said that in interviews or when people have asked at dinner or lunch, what's Dirk like? Um, he's a special human being. Um, one, a great basketball player, but two, a great person. And so uh, to see him now get involved uh, in the business side of basketball, I'm excited. Um, I'm happy to be able to uh, call him boss. Um, but also, you know, I think no one knows Dirk likes to eat. So I always, you know, as a boss, you got to make sure that you bring that apple like the teacher, right? Student teacher relationship. Uh, but no, he's, he's the best. And I, again, um, high IQ, high, very high IQ basketball. And so um, I'm very excited to have this opportunity. Jason, before we let you go, one of the, one of the coolest moments in my career, and I shared this with, with, moment with Tony Fay was you came to us during your rookie year partway through and you asked us what do I have to do to be become rookie of the year how does it work what's the deal can you can you help me and of course Grant Hill was already the darling of the media and was off to a great start and and uh and it seemed to be a little bit of an uphill battle but you were you said I'll do whatever you want me to do, and we we found out through a little bit of uh, stealth and 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 trading favors, we found out who had all the votes, all the rookie of the year ballots in the NBA among the media, and we just made sure when we went to that city or when they came to Reunion Arena that you, you know we got you with that reporter before before the game, and yeah. and uh, and. And you just just gave them a little time, even if it meant game day, even if it meant pregame. Now, the fact that you started to rip off a whole bunch of triple doubles and we started to win some games, you know, may have had a little something to do with it. But I always I, I tell that story to this day to young people in, in, in PR and to young athletes uh, that I get to do media training with around the league that that access, you know, really made a difference. In fact, uh, I, I know. Uh, uh, a broadcaster who didn't vote for the player on his own team who, who, that year and voted for you because you talked to him pregame and his own player wouldn't. And uh, but what about the relationship with the media? You've always been good at it. You did a fantastic job at the press conference. As coach, you're going to talk to the media repeatedly, uh, you know, three, four, five, six, seven you know, times a week, some days, three times a day. So 
how do you approach uh, dealing with the with the media? Well, I think uh, f first I was lucky to have you two, right? I think a lot of times we, as athletes, we're afraid to ask for help because we're never in that position. We've always been looked upon as we have the answers or we have everything under control. So as a rookie, um, I needed to know how to achieve that goal. Um, and to achieve that goal, you need a team. And, and so I came to you two to ask, um, and you guys came up with the plan and uh, I followed it. Um, but also I had to, to perform on the court. And so we did get lucky with some triple doubles, uh, but I didn't know if that was gonna be what led to, to winning that, that award. Um, I just felt like I needed some guidance and, and you guys gave it to me. And so um, I, I think a lot of times um, as athletes or young athletes, we're afraid to ask for help. And so uh, that would be, the one thing that I would pass along to any young athlete is it's all right to ask for help, um, you know, especially with the media, because I think with the access today, you, you have to, you know, give an answer. You know, there's a lot of questions, you know, out there and people want to hear the answers. And so um, how do you go about that? Well, you find pros, the best in the world. You you two were there for me when, when I had to ask that question, because I knew I couldn't do it by myself. And so you two were the guys that had to do the heavy lifting. Well, you know, the good news is you've got real pros in Scott Tomlin and Racco and Renee Felton and the team uh, at, at the AAC today. Those guys do a, do a tremendous job. The other part of that, of course, was the smear campaign against Grant Hill. And, <laughs> and, and I had a, a real thrill to accompany you and Grant to New York for the media tour after you won. And when I met Grant, I said, you know, I've been saying bad things about you for the last four months. And he said, well, what did you say? And I said, well, the only thing I could find was that you had some overdue library books at Duke because, <laughs> you know, he is squeaky clean and a great guy. And one of the things people need to know about you is you were really excited to share that award with Grant. Yeah. You, you guys were friends. You had, you had uh, known each other coming up a little bit. Right. And yes, and, and I think you were happier to share it with Grant than you would have been if you, if you wanted, you know, solo. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, me and Grant have been connected uh, from the draft. Um, and then when that award came out, we both won. I think we've been connected ever since. Um, but you talk about um, a great human being um, on and off the floor, but he was the reason why I had to get those triple doubles uh, because we didn't have, uh, Instagram, ESPN um, <laughs> was just getting going. And so it was the newspaper. So I had to see what he did the night before and he had a triple double. So I knew what I had to do, you know, that night. And so uh, I've always thanked him because he pushed me to be the better player that I could, you know, be, cause I it couldn't do it by myself. I, I needed him to not to have so many triple doubles. Um, I wanted him to lose a lot more games too. Right. But he was so talented, but he is a great person. And uh, again, he's doing extremely you know, great with his second career um, with the broadcasting, uh, being part owner of the Atlanta Hawks uh, now, and now being the president of the Olympics uh, Team USA So for basketball. So he's doing great and I still talk to him. And I still tease him that he is, uh, he's doing a lot better than I am. Well, you're doing okay. And by the way, we can't forget the other element of that Rookie of the Year campaign, which was the, the video, the great Dave Burchett produced a video uh, mm -hmm. that I, I had it converted somewhere along the line off of VHS. So I think I have it somewhere, but, but it was a team and it was an honor for Tony and, and, uh, uh, and I had to be on that, that team with you and Coach Mata and, and, uh, and, and, and that team. Those were a lot of fun years. It's, it's, it's fantastic to have you back in Dallas, Jason. We wish you all the best as, uh, as head coach of the Mavericks this season and for many more to come. So thank you for being here with us on the mic drop. Thank you very much for having me. Dallas is known for its big wins when it comes to sporting events. Whether it be Final Fours, Winter Classics, Pro Drafts, or even international soccer matches, Dallas sets the standard. And now it's time for our biggest win yet. We want the 2026 World Cup. The Dallas Sports Commission is working hard to bring the World Cup back to our great city, and we need your help. 
Head over to DallasWorldCup2026.com to sign the pledge to bring it back. Be sure to follow us on all social media at World Cup Dallas to stay up to date on all things 2026 World Cup. Thanks, Rachel. Happy to be joined now by Dallas Morning News lead columnist Kevin Sherrington with the Morning News since 1985. Been writing columns there since 2000. Kevin, welcome to the mic drop. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, Kevin. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, you know, you've written at least three columns uh, on the departure of Texas and Oklahoma for from the Big 12 to the SEC. Uh, obviously, things have changed a lot uh, in a lot of speculation uh, over these last few weeks. Can you tell tell us what's the latest? Well, what's the latest now is that uh, that Texas and Oklahoma both had to officially notify the Big 12 that they intended to withdraw from the uh, the league once the uh, television contracts expire in 2025. Uh, and then now it's, uh, it's left up to the SEC to extend a formal in, uh, invitation if they're going to do that. Uh, it's expected they could do that as early as Thursday of this week. Um, I, I would guess that uh, maybe that might not happen quite that fast, uh, simply because all of this, uh, it just kind of came out of a whirlwind. Uh, no one really understood that this was in the works, except uh, SEC uh, lead officials and, uh, and Texas and OU. So uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it did happen, an, an invitation, I wouldn't be surprised if it, perhaps it was going to wait another week or so. Well, you're absolutely right. And then it kind of came out of uh, nowhere, especially, you know, we just had Big 12 Media Days uh, a few weeks ago here in market. Um, you know, I think uh, we originally heard that there may be some opposition uh, to from Texas A&M uh, with Texas joining the, the SEC. This is a little bit special to me in that uh, I grew up 23 miles outside of College Station, uh, Texas A&M. So does this, if, if Texas does join the SEC, does this mean the Texas and Aggie rivalry game around Thanksgiving might be back? Could be. Uh, we'll see. I, I think what happened is that, yeah, there was a, a lot of shock uh, on the Texas A&M's part. A, a large part of the reason why they left the Big 12 in the first place was to get out from under the umbrella of Austin. Mm -hmm. And uh, and now they'll be right back under it again. Uh, I, I think that there is a, a, a large concern about that among a lot of the Aggie faithful. Uh, but the, in the end, the way they do business in the SEC is that uh, uh, we're going to do what's best for the league as a whole. There's a lot of arm twisting behind the scenes. There's not a lot of stuff that gets out like it did in the Big 12. All the politics are out front and on everybody's sleeve in the Big 12. Uh, that's not the case in the SEC. And, and uh, there's a chance to make a lot more money in the new TV contract with a 16-team league that also includes Texas and Oklahoma. So uh, everybody's on board. There was a, yes, the A&M was supposedly a no vote at first. There's a chance that Missouri was a no vote because Missouri had also uh, played with Texas in the Big 12. Um, but those were the only two. I didn't see anybody else that possibly was going to add to that and was going to require four no votes for that not to happen. That, that's simply not going to happen now. So it's just a matter of time before that invitation comes. And then it's a matter of time to, to determine exactly when would Texas and Oklahoma go to the SEC? Yeah, that kind of goes into my next question. Is it all about the money, money, money? And uh, is there any chance that uh, UT and, and Oklahoma State ride it out uh, 2024, or should we uh, expect that buyout? Well, I think what we're doing here is that uh, the Big 12 and Texas and Oklahoma are playing a game of chicken. And I think, unfortunately, for Bob Bowlesby, that uh, the Big 12 is going to end up roadkill in this thing. Um, I, I, what they, Texas and Oklahoma are what they're doing now is uh, we're just putting up all the, the all the legal uh, things that we have to do. Legally, we have to, to tell you we're going to do this. And, and now we're saying that we're willing to stay until 2025 after the 2024 football season to, to uh, perform all our due diligence here. Uh, they don't really want to do that, but they're saying that's what they'll do. So now it's a question of, so what does the Big 12 do? Does the Big 12 say, all right, we'll just keep you two guys on the calendar here and we'll play football through 2024 and everybody will just be really mad uh, for the next four years? Or do we try to do what's best for us as a league as a whole? Uh, because this this has obviously serious ramifications for the Big 12. Uh, once the contracts are up without Texas and Oklahoma, uh, I don't see how ESPN is going to, to give them the same kind of deal. 
that they had before. You know, it, it might be difficult for ESPN to do that anyway because of, of cable cutting and, and the rest and that the money may not flow as freely as it once did. And uh, with uh, the SEC commanding such a larger share uh, for uh, the, that kind of payout, it's going to be really difficult uh, to do that. So what does the Big 12 do at this point? Do they, do they try to poach some other teams from other leagues? Uh, well, they, they tried to do that before, and they could never come up with a suitable replacement for, for the teams that had already left, for the a Missouri, Colorado, uh, Nebraska. That, you know, they got TCU, and, and that, was, that was okay. Uh, certainly, TCU's been a good member, uh, but that's not a brand. Uh, it's, it's not a big state school with a lot of alumni. And those are the kinds of issues that, that doom the old Southwest Conference. And, uh, and now it's, it's kind of starting to tug at the, uh, the Big 12 as well. We understand, Kevin, this is, this is all about football. But we've also got the defending men's basketball champion down the road in Baylor. Obviously, Kansas, a storied basketball program in the Big 12. What, you know, in Baylor, not a fit for the SEC or, you know, where, what about, what about, basketball what, what do you think happens to those programs well they're they're you know the big 12 is a great basketball league and uh, it has been for years it's not just those two uh, all the old big eight schools are very good uh you know texas program is on its way back uh, texas tech has been really terrific you know, when chris beard uh, really revived that program there so yeah it's a great basketball league uh and and certainly basketball is a revenue producer there's no question about that but but it doesn't drive the the uh the contracts like uh, football does so uh you know there's been speculation that well wouldn't you know wouldn't the big 10 love to have kansas because that's uh, such a storied basketball program well i think it would and it is also a member of the american association of uh you know academy whatever that that's uh, that uh, acronym is aau uh, that's a very important thing to the Big Ten. Um, well, Kansas is, is great in basketball and and not so great in football. Uh, so that's going to be really difficult to, to fly that. Uh, you could say the same thing about the ACC. W wouldn't they welcome a Baylor or a Kansas? Well, they might. Uh, I think, though, at some point, uh, especially when you're at a smaller school, or maybe you don't have the same resources that some of these larger schools do, how do you fly that kind of thing when you are talking about what West Virginia is doing now in the Big 12. Uh, West Virginia has always felt very isolated uh, in the league. Uh, that came up the other day during the, the Big 12 meetings before all this story broke, uh, is that they're just an outpost, uh, more or less. And so that's not a, it's not a geographical fit. I could see in a reshuffling of everything, if uh, the Big 12 falls apart, that the West Virginia could go to the ACC. I just don't see Baylor going up there. How do you, you know, that's going to be really expensive to send your volleyball team up there and your baseball team and, and all the spring sports uh, on these kind of uh, junkets. And, you know, I think that one of the reasons why, frankly, that, uh, that Texas and Oklahoma chose the SEC is because it's a little bit of a regional uh, alignment. You know, you can, in, the, in what would be either the West Division or two pods of a West Division, uh, Texas and Oklahoma would be playing teams in contiguous states. And I think that's important. Uh, I think that, you know, there was some drift away from that in the past, uh, but I think it, it does matter. I saw where Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has appointed a select committee of 11 state senators to study the, quote, future of college athletics in Texas. I, I'm not sure what that committee can accomplish since this thing is down the road uh, with the power clearly having shifted to the, to the conference commissioners uh, but what does this mean for the future of college athletics uh, in the state and, and nationally? Well, in the state, you know, it, it's always been uh, here in Texas uh, unique, right? Uh, in the old Southwest Conference, we had, Ar you know, before Arkansas, we had Arkansas, Baylor, Houston, Rice, SMU, Texas, TCU, Texas Tech, uh, and Texas A&M. And, and, and so you had a lot of schools from one state. Now, it's a, granted, it's a big state, and it's a big state for football, uh, but that's a lot of divided loyalties. Um, and, and, the, and all those schools weren't on the same ground. You know, you had private schools in, in Baylor and, and Rice and SMU and TCU. Uh, not, they don't have a large alumni base. They, don't, they didn't have a lot of money. And Texas, that, that always chafed at Texas that, you know, we, you know I'm, I'm speaking as I'm not a Texas alum, but I'm just 
talking like a Texas official now. We're tired of dragging along all these schools that have not uh, are not large revenue producers. When we go into their stadiums, it's our fans that fill up the stadium, not the local fans. You know, not the the fans of those schools. And so that ultimately led to the demise of the old Southwest Conference. Um, you know, there is a feeling in this state that because uh, now, because of what's happened to Baylor and Texas Tech and TCU, uh, it's like, oh my gosh, isn't that terrible what happened? Well, I don't know if people remember how terrible it was for SMU and Houston, because they got left out when the Big 12 was formed, right? Uh, and actually TCU was left out at that time as well. And, and, and the Horned Frogs, God bless them, they went out and, and you know, clawed and, and brought the, fought their way back and, and into prominence. And they did a great job and they certainly benefited from the uh, uh, departure of Texas A&M. So, uh, so the future, I think, is that uh, if, if I were to guess, I would say that probably uh, Baylor, TCU, Tech, uh, Houston, and SMU all end up together again in the American Athletic Conference, an expanded league. Uh, they're, they're, that would put them pretty much on equal footing with all of those schools. Uh, it's probably where they should be, uh, and that would be good for them. As for the national scene, I, I really do believe that there is going to be a push now for super conferences. Uh, every, could be as four, could be as many as five if you count to the American Athletic Conference. Uh, and then I then I could see the very fact that, uh, that those schools, those 80 schools would, would say, band together and say, you know what, we're out of the NCAA. We're going to form our own sets of rules and championships. We already do that in football anyway. We'll just do it in the rest. We are all like-minded institutions and we will decide what's best for us. Having uh, seen what Mark Emmert said the other day when basically he abdicated the NCAA's responsibility in trying to govern college athletics. So it sounds like you're thinking the American Athletic Conference and Commissioner Mike Oresco could be the winners here where they get elevated with the, with the departures of Texas and OU with the other remaining uh, uh, big 12 schools is that you think that's how this could end up it's possible uh, I, I think what we have here is that I, and I've had some feedback from I've written that and I've had some feedback from big 12 officials who say listen we're the we're the conference with the autonomy we're the conference has a 38 million dollar payout a year and that's correct for the next four years that's what you have uh, but without Texas and OU the next round of contracts won't be the same uh, in effect uh, the old, you know, the Big 12 or what's left of the Big 12 is becoming a mirror image of the uh, American Athletic Conference. And so what those schools, the Cincinnati, Houston, anybody who might be inclined uh, to join the, the uh, an SMU, anybody who might be inclined to, to join the Big 12 or what's left of the Big 12 would have to ask the question, okay, we'll make a, we'll make a little more money now, but we'll have to have a, we'll have to pay the AAC for a, an exit fee and then in three years, these contracts are all going to be redone. Would we have made ourselves a better position or not? And, and, and in fact, I mean, if you just want to go from the standpoint of, well, the AAC has 11 teams and the, the Big 12 has eight. Uh, and the question always is, who do you want to add? What really brings something to the table? And at this point, there's not anybody that really is a difference maker out there for any of these leagues, except for Notre Dame, you know, and the, the question always is about them. And, and, you know, the SEC moved on the two biggest potential free agents in, in uh, Texas and Oklahoma. They shocked everybody. They shocked the Big Ten. Uh, now the Big Ten is wondering what it should do. They're, they're moving very slowly, as they should. Um, but I have to tell you, uh, you know, the Big Ten's big push is always with Ohio State in the college football playoff. Uh, the other schools have not moved up that way. The, they have had a lot of power because of uh, their t television markets and, and cable markets, and cable markets don't mean what they used to. I really do feel like the SEC has made a move now to make itself, to strengthen itself as, as the strongest conference in college football. So, Kevin, we had uh, Bill Hancock on a few weeks ago uh, talking about CFP expansion. Uh, it looks like uh, I, th I know they're doing research and putting a plan together, uh, but it looks uh, kind of like we'd be going to 12. The Rose Bowl would have to definitely move off their date or be willing to. How do you see the CFP expansion unfolding? Well, you know, that's uh, it's a great point because uh, a lot of uh, college officials are angry that all this happened before the, the playoff was officially approved. 
um, they, they feel like that this could endanger that. I mean, everybody wants it to go to 12 teams, right? Uh, well, what if you do enough damage here that uh, there's resentment and, and some, uh, some conferences, schools to say that we're not signing on to this then, you know, uh, we're, we're angry that this happened and why should we give you what you want now? So it, it's a good question about what the future of all that is. I, I'm assuming that it actually will happen. You know, it, it means more money for everybody. It, uh, it, it, it leads to a lot of things that are, are going to make it easier for uh, obviously the access for, for some others that, you know, the, I think the biggest concern uh, among uh, a lot of the people was that, you know, the ratings have gone down. Uh, when, when you've had the same schools in the CFP every year, uh, you, you have to be concerned about that and the possibilities. And, and uh, by opening up to, and, you know, the, the, the shock was that it went from four to 12. Everybody thought, well, what happened to eight or six? Why is it all of a sudden 12? Well, because the, the SEC wanted it to be rewarded for this. And by expanding to 12, you take it out of the realm of we're going to take every one from each major conference. And now you open it up to, you know, teams at large. And certainly the SEC could now, with the addition of Texas and Oklahoma, you, you could see uh, the SEC having as many as six teams in the playoff. Well, we'll definitely keep our eye on this uh, CFP expansion. Obviously, we hosted the, the inaugural season in 2015. We really would love to host another championship in the future. Uh, also has some uh, benefits for Cottonwool Classic uh, over in Arlington and AT&T Stadium. Uh, for me personally, my, my thoughts uh, uh, are with uh, my friends over at the Big 12 Conference. I know they're uh, going through a tough time right now. They're our host institution and in, uh, all the championships and NCAA events that uh, we bid on. So uh, we'll be keeping my fingers crossed from them and uh, for them and watching that. But, Kevin, before we let you go, um, you know, Cowboys training camp is uh, underway. Um, are, we a playoff, are we a playoff team this year? What's your prediction? Well, you know, I'm always a little too optimistic about the Cowboys uh, when the season starts and, and then uh, realism sets in at, at some point, like a, a great weight of gravity. Uh, I think that uh, this team has a chance to be pretty good. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, with the return of Dak, who looks like he's very strong, has not having any lingering issues with his ankle. Uh, you know, another year of C.D. Lamb to really uh, assert himself in the offense. Uh, return of uh, so many injured players, uh, you know, Lyle Collins and Tyron Smith, the offensive tackles, both of them very seem to be very healthy. Great. Tyron Smith is telling people that his neck hasn't felt this good since he was a freshman at USC. So those are all good signs for the Cowboys, certainly on offense and on defense. They've added a bunch of people. They've added seven defensive backs uh, since last year, and they, they probably needed about five more. But uh, at any rate, uh, I think that they will be better. Dan Quinn coming in as a, as a new defensive coordinator is very well liked by these players. Uh, he's instituted a scheme that apparently uh, fits them pretty well. Uh, so, uh, and then, then the, in the end, what you look at is that, well, what's your division like? The NFC East is still not very strong, and there's a lot of uncertainty at quarterback at almost all the other uh, teams in the division. And so I think that the Cowboys will certainly win their division. Uh, the question always is in this, this is where do they go from there? I, I think that it's possible the Cowboys could get to the NFC championship game. So I'm, I'm probably going to stick my neck out and say they get that far. Okay. We just heard it on the pod. Uh, the, uh, uh, Cowboys are going to the, champ the NFC Championship game at least. So, uh, Kevin, really uh, a pleasure to have you on the mic drop. Uh, we'll definitely follow up and uh, have you again down the road. But uh, thank you for your insight on everything that's going on with the Big 12, SEC, Texas, Oklahoma, and, of course, our, our Cowboys. My pleasure. Y'all take care. Thank you. And now uh, over to Rachel for, from, for a word from our sponsors. PowerHands is a global athletic training and rehabilitation product tech company that enhances human performance through the designs, innovative technology. If you are a coach, athlete, fitness enthusiast, PowerHands is for you. Who doesn't want to improve their overall performance and recovery? Even better, PowerHands is Dallas-based and a portion of every product purchased. Helps provide athletic and academic programs to youth in underserved communities. Go to PowerHands.com and improve your athletic performance today. Thanks, Rach. Now we're happy to be joined by Sam Gannon, anchor and reporter mm -hmm. at Fox Forest Sports. Sam grew up in New England, but says she was a, would watch the Cowboys with her dad. <laughs> and so she's not a Patriots fan, 
We're not going to get into her allegiances on the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NHL. <laughs> That's for another time. Sam paid her on-air dues in a big way. Lake Charles, Louisiana, Oklahoma City. Uh, were a couple stops on her journey before joining Mike Ducey's team, where, among other things, she co-hosts the always entertaining free-for-all sports show weeknights at 1030. Thanks for joining us here on the Mic Drop, Sam. Yes, thank you guys so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. Now, Ducey is, of course, out in Oxnard, or Foxnard, as you guys uh, yes. call, it, <laughs> call it on air. And so you're you're clearly in charge now at the station with, with him out there. Uh, and the, the show that aired, this would have been uh, Tuesday night uh, with, right. with the ticket guys, was one of the funnier uh, oh my goodness. <laughs> installments. So, you, I mean, you missed being there in person, but you were kind of the foil uh, back at the station. It, it seems like you guys have a blast doing that, doing that show. Ducey doesn't want to admit this, but I'm the glue that holds everything together, you know? Um, no, Mike is awesome. I mean, I really can't say enough about him. You know, the dynamic is always interesting to some people because of our age gaps, because he actually has a daughter who is maybe like six months younger than I am. Um, but we, we're good friends. I mean, we don't just talk, you know, while we're working, but, you know, we text each other a lot about music or, or whatever might be going on. You know, it, it's been so weird this last year and a half, as you guys know, because of COVID, because most of the time, um, you know, I'm sitting on my couch doing sports and he's home, but I got to come back to the station last week for the first time since mid-March. So that was a lot of fun. It feels good to be back in there. Now, during your time in Oklahoma City, of course, you covered the Big 12, you know, Oklahoma and Oklahoma yeah. State. Uh, the Oklahoma State president really fired a, a fired off uh, some strong comments about OU's uh, breach of trust, you know, with the agreement among the the uh, the Big 12 schools. Uh, you know, Bob Bowlesby is an experienced leader, you know, a, 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 a strong leader. But what, what is your take, Sam, on, on this story, having, having covered OU and, and, and the Big 12? Wow, I, it, it took me by surprise, that's for sure. I mean, this really came out of nowhere a week ago. Um, but, you know, having covered, I covered Oklahoma and Oklahoma State for six years, and, and you mentioned Oklahoma State. And there's listen, there's a lot of angry people right now. Texas A&M is another one of those schools because of Texas. Um, but, you know, I, I think when you look at the from a rivalry standpoint, you can understand why, you know, the Cowboys are upset because that's a really big deal uh, in the state of Oklahoma is Bedlam. Every single year, it's a huge deal for fans. Um, in terms of OU, for OU, I, you know, they've won so many big 12 championships in a row. I think I believe they're going for number seven this year. But um, I'm excited to see this happen. I think, you know, when you talk about the big 12, losing the two biggest brands for its conference, you feel bad for them too. But in terms of what this is going to create for the SEC um, and just getting to see some of these matchups and the tailgating, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Man, I, I, I was looking, searching over here, Sam, for my soundboard and some, some booze when you mentioned that Oklahoma uh, Big 12 conference for, for, for many, many years. I'm, I'm a Longhorn alum, so, uh, oh, you know, okay. that, that, that stung right there, I'm going to tell you. Well, <laughs> props to you guys, because the Sooners and Longhorns came together to get I, this thing done. I know. I was thinking about that the other day. I'm like, the first time ever, I'm pretty sure, that uh, we may have come together and agreed on something. So, yes. uh, <laughs> Sam, uh, I think you were a competitive swimmer, uh, including during your freshman year at the University of Connecticut. Uh, yes. A lot of uh, Olympic coverage going on right now. Have you had a chance to watch? any any olympics yes you know at least when i can be in the station we have the monitors on so i've always i have the monitors on every night and uh, i got to watch katie ledecky last night win the 1500 meters which was just unreal because you know having swam competitively for like 12 13 years people don't understand the the kind of training that goes into this and for for those at the olympic level which i was never at that level um, it just takes so much dedication, but I love it because people's interest in swimming really sparks uh, when the Olympics happen. So it's fun to see, you know, people who don't know much about the sport, you know, sitting and watching it and getting excited about it because these athletes deserve uh, the attention. 
Yeah, I spent some time in the in the Olympic movement in, in Colorado Springs and uh, went, went to two Olympics, and it always astonished me that every four years that Olympic USA spirit comes out, and I'm like, how can we have that uh, c- come out uh, a little bit more regularly like uh, we see in, in college athletics and, and NFL as well? Um, I happen to uh, teach a uh, course at SMU. Uh, I'm, I'm actually going to be off this fall, but uh, look to return in, in the future. It's called Contemporary Issues in Sport Management. And I, I get a lot of, uh, obviously, young students who want to be in sports, or see, see the different mm-hmm. uh, avenues that may be available. What advice may you give uh, s- some students thinking that they want to get into the sports industry and possible broadcast in, on the media side? Well, I would definitely say that you want hands-on experience. So if you're a college student, I would encourage anyone who wants to get in this field to do internships. You know, doing if you think you want to go into local TV and be a reporter, I would try to get an internship um, at your local TV station because I really do think that being around other reporters when you're interning, you can really pick something for, from everyone. But I would also say I feel like even since I graduated college, there's more opportunities than ever before because there's so many, you know, different avenues that you can go down. I mean, there's so many sports blogs and then you have, um, you know, you can work within athletics, you can work for a team um, and be a team reporter or a writer. So I think the encouraging part of it is um, there's far more avenues you can go down. So that's the great thing. And I would also say, you know, try to pick everyone's brain and don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to hear no. I heard a lot. I've heard a lot of no's, not heard, but still hear a lot of no's. So I think it's just important to be persistent and be open. Um, You know, one of the things for me is I'm from Boston, but I had to move far away from home right out of college. And that doesn't mean that everyone will. I mean, a lot of you might be lucky to, you know, stay put. But for me, I had to move far away to get my career started. So I would just say, uh, be open to moving somewhere else because chances are that's probably going to happen at some point in your career. Sam, this is the point of our program where we ask our guests, what are you downloading? What are you streaming? Podcast, book, movie, TV, really anything sports related or not. What are you mm-hmm. watching these days? Well, it's so funny you say that because I saw it and I came prepared. I'm just about to start reading this book book called Attached. And what it has to do with is everyone has some type of attachment style. So there's three of them. There's anxious, avoidant, and secure. So it talks all about, you know, depending on what your attachment is, you know, how it affects your, your personal relationships in life, not just romantic, but your friendships and all these things. So I've just kind of become more fascinated with human behavior as I've gotten older and why people act the way they do. And I think as you know, when I was younger too, you tend to take things personally and sometimes I still do. Um, but I think as you get older, you learn not to do that. So I'm just about to start reading that. And so you're one of those intellectuals like Mark Followell <laughs> did the same thing where he actually had an actual book. <laughs> like, like uh, I love Mark, he's great. You know, yeah, no, he, he's a talented guy and we're, we're uh, enjoying him at the Olympics too. Monica, what are you downloading or streaming? Oh, uh, it's it's days? all Olympics, Sully. I, I don't have time to watch anything else. I'm I'm barely getting enough sleep right now. Uh, just watching all of uh, uh, the Olympics, and at least I've had the chance to get outside the comfort zone, maybe, and watch a few of the sports that might not normally be on my uh, you know watch list. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I've suspended all binging, streaming, downloading, pretty <laughs> much, and it's all Olympics all the time. Although I did sneak in one episode of the CNN series, the history of the sitcom. I was so irritated that I love Lucy got more run than the honeymooners that I, that I, I don't know if I'm going <laughs> to keep watching, but, but Sam, the, um, you know, the thing that the reason that I'm always captivated by the Olympics and I've gotten to, to go, go to five of them and work You're three lucky. of them at, at NBC. Yeah. And so, uh, the night I referenced, uh, Lydia Jacoby, uh, winning at age 17 the other night in an incredible uh, race. And we had Molly Solomon, the executive producer of the, of NBC's Olympic coverage on a few weeks ago to preview the the games. And yeah, she, she's awesome. And, And she talked about the friends and family unit that they had established in Stanford, a production team. Yeah. And so, 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 so Lydia Jacoby wins and, and within a minute or two, they cut to Seward, Alaska, where uh, 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 the locals yes. are gathered at the, it actually were, they were gathered at the uh, 
the, 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 the railroad and cruise terminal, big facility there, huge number of people screaming, so many, just yeah. absolutely going bananas. And, and, and uh, you know, I got choked up. I admit it, it was pretty cool. And, and that's what keeps, keeps bringing me back. What, as you watch uh, these games, I mean, and I know you're busy and I know it's on the competition, uh, but what, what do you, what moments have you enjoyed uh, either this this time or just in general and, and, and as an athlete yourself that, that that keep bringing you back to the Olympics? Oh, well, first of all, I'm so jealous. You've actually gotten to work the Olympics and go. That, that is on my bucket list one day. One day I'd love to cover swimming for the Olympics or something like that. But, you know, I think when you're little, like when I when I was little, I had dreams of going to the Olympics. So, you know, when you're little and you're really serious about a sport, that's something that's always in the back of your mind. And I've always, I just always loved swimming so much. And when I, when I got into it competitively, it was a whole, I, you know, it was a whole nother level for me because it, it was such a big passion for me. So, um, I can appreciate all the time that I put into that because it's a lot, you know, and, and some days I'm like, how did I ever do that for so long? But then when you look at these Olympic athletes, um, you know, like a Katie Ledecky or a Michael Phelps, I mean, the level of training that they have to put in is just unbelievable. And so the, I just have so much respect for them. And what I also find fascinating is just how much faster swimmers are, even from like a decade ago. I mean, the times now are unreal. Like, like these, these swimmers are swimming so unbelievably fast now. And I think a reason for that has to do with just how technology has advanced nutrition. I mean, you know, these Olympians are, are taking such immaculate care of their bodies. And I do think that's a big reason, um, for why they're successful. And then I think when you look at some of the older ones, that's why they're able to sustain for so long because of the way that they take care of themselves physically. It's incredible. NBC showed a graphic last night where they estimated that the Katie Ledecky has, has covered 21,000 miles in the pool, which is about the distance <laughs> to swim from, uh, you know, the Washington area, she grew up in Maryland to Tokyo. So pretty, mm. pretty crazy. Well, thank you for, for joining us today, yes. uh, Sam. Yeah, we'll Thanks have you back sometime. Me. I'd uh, you love bet. to, anytime. You, we'll make you a mic drop regular. Your All career right, will Bruce. really take off with, with that, <laughs> that's down. for sure. <laughs> thank you both. Uh, on behalf of my friend, Monica Paul and the Dallas Sports Commission, thanks to our guests, Jason Kidd, Kevin Sherrington and Sam Gannon. What a lineup. Thanks to the Mic Drop production team, Chris Amelia, Olivia Petnicki in for Marcus Carr, the crew at Vocal Media and our showrunner, Tony Fay. Until next time, thanks for listening, everybody.